Anybody see my mic? Yeah? Anybody see my status this morning at 8.30? Um, no? All right. Does anybody know what this means? Yeah? Nikki? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll be watching my watch this morning for time. Um, if you don't know what that means, hey. Um, all right. My, my watch is broken. Um, so I, I said, should I wear my watch? It's just all eight. So um, I, I just, I'm a creature of habit. Um, we're going to turn to the Word now. We're going to ask God to bless our time in the Word. Um, I want to I wanna announce the, the beginning of a, of a, a little bit of an experiment. I've, I've been convicted that, uh, that as Scriptures come up on the screen, that, it, that, that, that has a tendency to disconnect us from the actual experience of digging in and looking into the Word. Um, this morning is going to be a no-screen sermon. Um, let, me, let me challenge you to look up the, uh, the verses as they come. I, I know that I move quick, and so there will be scriptures that if you take notes, and I encourage that, I, I, find, I find great help when I get to hear preaching. I like to take notes, unless I'm driving. And even then, occasionally, I will take notes. Is that, is that against the law? Um, these are the jokes. Um, if I'm going quick, you know, just write it down and look it up later. But there'll be several passages this morning that I'll just challenge you to look at. Um, if, you, if, you are, if you don't have a Bible with you and you're wondering about a choice between the black Bible and the red Bible, the black one's the actual one that I read out of. Uh, the NIV is, is red. It's good. Um, but I use the black one. Um, so with that said, we're going to pray and, uh, and turn to the Word. Does anybody feel like running and getting me a glass of water? I'm, I'm having a rough morning. Anybody? You're awesome, Rebecca. Thank you. Um, yes. Um, we're going to pray and turn to the Word right after I move my, my, my support table there. Um, let's pray. Father, we come before you, and in the name of Jesus, we want to ask you to speak to us now. Lord, I don't believe we can be too careful in asking you to bless this time in your word, Father. And so we pray that you would speak to us, Lord. We have been considering the subject of unbelief and the effect of unbelief on us and, and the long-term detriment that unbelief can be to our souls. And so I pray as we move to the area of bitterness and unforgiveness, Father, I pray that you would convict, rebuke, correct train us. Father, I believe as we have traveled through this series, Lord, we have, we have confronted many things which are difficult and hard, but I believe this will be the most practical message so far in terms of what we struggle with on a regular basis. And so as we come to bitterness and unforgiveness, Father, I know that I am tread, treading on sensitive ground because we are sensitive people. And so I pray that in all that I do, that there would not be a, a reducing of offense. I pray that as I speak, no one would feel, Lord, that, that I'm making light of any suffering or difficulty that they've encountered. But Father, I pray that we would see the enormity of your grace toward us. And that we would be humbled and our hearts would be broken 
over our lack of willingness to extend the same forgiveness to others. Father, may we never commit the error of believing that wrongs done against us are not wrong. And I pray that I would never give that impression. But Father, I pray also that we would be profoundly affected by the sense that you are the most wronged, that you are the one who has the most sins committed against him, and yet you are always forgiving, ever gracious, and that we ought to model your humility and your mercy each and every day of our lives. Father, may our hearts be like yours, and I pray that you would use these words to further align us with a heart like yours, Father. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, I'd like to talk to you this morning. I'm just going to throw away the introduction because uh, I, I, I don't believe that I have the time. Um, I'd like to talk to you this morning about, about bitterness. Um, I think the, the most common occurrence of bitterness in my, in my regular life is um, I think in terms of salad. Do um, you know what I mean? There are, if you go to the salad bar at the supermarket uh, and you're an amateur, I'm doing the introduction, what's wrong with me? Um, you go to the salad bar, you get that little clear plastic container and you start digging through the multiple salads, uh, the multiple kinds of lettuce there. There's, there's the like teardrop shaped spinachy leaves. If you only put that as your base, your salad will be on the bitter side. There's, there's the sweeter salads, the, uh, the lettuces. There's the more um, refreshing or cool kind of iceberg lettuce. If you don't have the right mix, right, it's, it's going to lead to uh, a defective salad. Uh, bitterness is like that to the soul. Bitterness can ruin your entire soul. Bitterness can so alter the flavor of who we are in our heart that it will draw us away. And I'm going to hope to make the case this morning that bitterness is a form of unbelief that we must repent of. And that it's not something that we can just view as a side category. It's central to who we are and central to our understanding of the gospel. Let me define it for you. Bitterness, I define bitterness this way. Bitterness is holding a grudge or savoring the thought of getting even with no true desire for the salvation and reconciliation of the offending person. Bitterness is holding a grudge or savoring the thought of getting even with no true desire for the salvation and reconciliation of the offending person. So let me, let me just explain this out. It's, it's, it's being angry at somebody or delighting in the idea of their ruin or waiting for an opportunity to get even with that person. And what is not 
in your, your view, what's, it's not making it into the, the window, is a desire for them to be saved or for your relationship to be reconciled. We can use euphemisms for bitterness, right? We can, we can move beyond our need for a person, right? Our relationship with them can drift, I think we can see bitterness often in our apathy for other people or our hardness of heart toward them. I just, I just don't want to have anything to do with this person anymore. There's no room for them in my life. If you really examine why that state of affairs has, has come to be, it's most often become because of Bitterness. Now, I want to share two scriptures to flesh out the definition, and then I want to share what I believe are two helpful images. Both of them are agricultural and deal with green plants. Um, the first scripture to flesh out the definition is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. This is going to be one of those write-it-downs. You can turn if you like, um, but there will be passages to turn to in greater detail. Ephesians 4, verse 30 and 31 say this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, implying that you can grieve the Spirit of God which lives within you. If you're a Christian, if you believe in the gospel, if you believe in the work of Christ on the cross on your behalf, God sends the Holy Spirit to live within you, to give you life, to give you the ability to discern between right and wrong, and to to testify, to share, and also to live upright and holy lives, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed. Think of a jar of pickles, right? You know, and when you open them up, that that seal, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It assures you of future salvation. But you can have that spirit within you and grieve it. In fact, I believe this. If you have a regular attitude or a regular pattern of behaving that would grieve the Spirit, I believe it's very possible that you do not know the Lord in a real, true, saving way. If your behavior is consistently inconsistent with the behavior described in the New Testament, I would not say, oh, just relax, you're saved. I would instead say, repent. Don't grieve the Spirit. Because you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Okay, that's just a, just a warning. How do you know if you're walking in step with the Spirit? Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But, verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There should be an attitude of putting away, of bitterness subsiding, of relationships reconciled and healed. Okay? Bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And just like wrath and anger and clamor and slander, it's evidence of disobedience which arises from unbelief. Now, Hebrews 12, 15. Here's a second Verse, and then we're going to look at these two images. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, See to it, see to it. This is a command to the church, a 
command all Christians, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Failing to obtain the grace of God sounds like a very bad, dangerous thing, doesn't it? The grace of God is the forgiveness of sins. It is being given the Holy Spirit. It is being sealed in the Spirit and being assured of salvation. That is living in the grace of God. And we're called to make sure that no one fails to obtain that grace, right? So not obtaining it would be bad. Do you agree with that? Nod. Shake your head. Nod. Yes. Yes, we agree. Thank you, Franny. One obedient person. Are you all second children like me? I wouldn't have shake, shake my head either. I'd be like, don't tell me what to do. Um, but thank you, Franny. Now, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, he's going to warn them in just one verse, at the beginning of verse 30, uh, the beginning of verse 16, to abstain from sexual immorality, which is an evidence of failing to obtain the grace of God. If you can live in a consistent lifestyle like that, that's, that's bad. It would be consistent with unbelief. But the first thing he says is make sure that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness is opposed to the grace of God. It is unbelief. To be bitter, to live in bitterness, is to embrace unbelief. Let me share two helpful images and then I'm going to unpack them and that'll be the duration of the message. The first one is the image of sand in spinach. Okay? If you have bought spinach from the store, right, if you don't get it from the little package where it's all chopped up for you, right, and it comes in the little frozen compressed brick of spinach, if you buy it fresh, you got to wash it and wash it, and wash it, and wash it. Because they grow it, and I didn't know this, in sand. And you can be sitting there at dinner, munching on it, and then you encounter that grain of sand. And if you've ever had this happen to you, it is unpleasant, right? And if you don't wash it well, and you serve it to people, they're not going to eat it. Grit in spinach ruins the dish. That's the first image, okay? And I will... We'll tell you what that means in a minute, okay? Well, I'll tell you what it means now. Otherwise, excellent godly character can be destroyed by bitterness. Otherwise, excellent godly character can be destroyed by bitterness. Second image is this, that of an untended lawn. Occasional weeds can be dealt with. Get out the roundup, Break out the lawnmower, right? Turn on the weed eater. Send your kids out in the backyard and tell them to pull up all the weeds. It can be dealt with. But an untended lawn, a piece of land left uncleared, is quickly overrun and quickly becomes unmanageable. And it is the same with the heart. The landscape of the heart can be quickly overrun. And so we need to develop habits of pulling weeds and planting seeds regularly. Pulling weeds and planting seeds. Let's talk about the sand in the spinach. Okay, the sand in the spinach ruins 
the dish. I already explained the image. Um, let's, let's just kind of unpack what that looks like. Bitterness is deadly. It's the opposite of the gospel. Flip over uh, in your Bible, if you want to take a look at page 824, if you're using the Black Bible or if you're using your Bible, Matthew chapter 19, and go down to verse 3. Now, what I'm about to share, I want to, I want to make this I just want to make this clear. This is not a comprehensive statement on marriage and divorce, but it is an example of how hardness of heart kills. Okay? An example of how hardness of heart can kill. Matthew 19, verse 3, Jesus in the middle of a, he's in the middle of a period of controversy. Everybody's questioning him. Everybody's challenging him. Nobody really seems to, to be tracking with him. People are opposing his ministry. And he says in verse, uh, verse 3, Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, notice what they say in verse 7. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed it. But from the beginning, it was not so, the issue that I want to put at the table is the condition of these men's hearts. Why were they questioning that it would be okay to break up a marriage relationship for any cause? The issue is not their concern for the law. The issue is not their concern for the heart of God. Their issue had everything to do with their hardness of heart. We are so willing as human beings to let relationships slide or decay or drift or pass away. Those are all euphemisms for bitterness because of a failure to pursue reconciliation. Now, I am not saying that every relationship can be reconciled, but so often relationships break apart because of pride and an unwillingness to reconcile, an unwillingness to humble ourselves and say, I am sorry, or an unwillingness to approach someone and to say, you were wrong when you did this. Instead, we retreat, we hide, we allow the weeds of bitterness to grow up and to cause problems, and we don't clear the deck. We allow the sand to remain in the spinach, and ruin the meal. Is a lack of forgiveness and a lack of reconciliation consistent with the gospel? Is that God's heart in the gospel? I would say it's consistent with pride and a lack of willingness to repent. 
Listen instead to the gospel and contrast it with what Jesus said. He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed it. But now listen to the gospel. This is our fighter verse for this week. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Now here's the key. Tender-hearted. Not hard-hearted. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. And now here's the gospel. As God in Christ forgave you. Do you see that? The gospel is connected to our behavior. Our behavior ought to be consistent with the way that God has forgiven us in Christ. What sins are sufficient to separate me from the love of God? What sin is sufficient to separate you from the love of God? Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark that all sins, all blasphemies will be forgiven the sons of men. All of them, except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is what? Unbelief. The gospel is connected to our behavior. We ought to extend the same kind of kindness, the same kind of tenderheartedness, and the same kind of forgiveness to other people, which is consistent with the way that God has forgiven us. When I am bitter toward my wife, or I am bitter toward my child, or I am bitter toward someone in the church, or I am bitter with someone in my life, out in the world, if the gospel is reigning, then I will say, God has forgiven me so much. How can I not forgive this person? How can I not extend forgiveness to them? Let me summarize the connection with the gospel here. Flip over in your Bible to Matthew 18. Look at Matthew 18. We're going to pick up in verse 23. We're going to be here for a little while, so you'll want to, you'll want to flip over there. Let me point out there's a connection to being saved, to being in the kingdom, and to being right with God. Okay? Jesus begins, Matthew 18, verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The point of comparison is this. Those who are in the kingdom know the truth and live in a way that's consistent with this parable. Okay, let's, let's break this down. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, when he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, you may or may not know this, is equivalent to 20 years' wages. One talent, 20 years' wages. He owed him 10,000 talents, which is how many years' wages? How many? 200,000, right? 200, how many? 200,000. That's huge. Okay, I went on to the Social Security Administration website. The average income of the average American is $41,000. Okay? Do you know how much this man would owe according to those figures? $8.2 billion. 
10,000 talents. The idea that we should gather is that he owes an enormous amount of money that on his 41K a year, he could not repay. Which leads to the conclusion of verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This guy will spend forever in prison working off his debt. Which leads to the conclusion in verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Yeah, right. Which leads to the conclusion in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. What amazing grace. And those of us who understand parables, and I think every human being on the planet who understands and knows the story of the gospel and who understands that God places all of our sins on Christ and crushes Christ on the cross for our sins and that he takes our penalty, he takes our death, the death that we deserve. We deserve to spend eternity perishing, but God crushes Jesus on our behalf and then gives us his righteousness when we believe in the gospel. We understand that we are that servant and that we owe that enormous debt and that God shows us that amazing grace. Out of pity, the master releases us and forgives us the debt. But now look at verse 28 and think about bitterness. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii is one day's wage. One day. He owed him 100 days wages. Now on the 41K figure, that works out to be $113.25 a day or $11,325. He owed $8.2 billion and was forgiven. He leaves. He finds a fellow servant. Tell them I can't, I can't make it. Um, and he finds one who owes him 100 denarii and it says that he seized him. He began to choke him and said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. He said, have, patient with me. Be, have patience with me and I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. Will he ever pay it? No. 
And if you're in that passage, you can see verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. A heart that remains bitter does not live in awareness of the good of the gospel. A heart that stays bitter does not understand how much it has been forgiven. How great our offense is against God on a daily basis. And instead, magnifies the offense of another and minimizes its own offense and refuses to forgive. Now, we'll talk about what this looks like in a minute. I do not want to give you any impression that forgiving is not an emotional battle. But just to acknowledge that we must forgive, even if it requires an emotional battle. I want to share with you a few ideas and then move to the second image. And I want you to note down, if you're taking notes, the main idea and then the reference and go back and, and explore the implications here. If you feel like you struggle with bitterness, perhaps it's against your spouse. Perhaps it is against someone who abandoned you. Perhaps you are bitter with a child or with your parent or with a brother or a sister or your father or your mother. Perhaps you are bitter against someone in this church or someone who has left this church and gone to another church or someone who is at the church that you came from or maybe it's somebody that you work with. You struggle with bitterness. You are called to forgive because you have been forgiven. Let me just drive this home. We are called to a life of forgiveness. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. They cursed at you, you curse at them. They hurt you, you hurt them back. Don't do that, Peter says. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We are called to bless those who curse us, and we're called to bless them that we might obtain a blessing. We're called to a life of forgiveness and blessing others, even our enemies. We're called to this life. Second, Jesus is our example. 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verses 21 through 23 say, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He did not allow bitterness to take hold of his heart, but instead he trusted all things to God. Which leads us to the third point. First is we're called to a life of forgiveness. Second, Jesus is our example. And then third, 
the assurance that God will avenge. God will avenge. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. I looked back at the Greek for what word never means there. And in Greek, you know what that word means? It means never. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. There's no other Greek words hidden between yourselves and but. There's nothing there. There's not any instances when it's okay. It says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now, let me just say one quick word. You may say, does that mean I don't press charges? No. That's the function of the state. That's what they're there for. They're there to punish evil. If something, somebody does something against you that, re, re, that involves criminal legislation against them, you know, the pressing of charges, you go ahead and you use the law. That's what the law is there for. No law, no restraint against sin. Go look at Romans 13. All the details are there. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is carrying around that continuous emotional hate against them. Bitterness. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let me assure you of this truth. God will avenge every wrong done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 says that God will come and grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. Okay, let me just make this point and then make a, a second sub-point. If someone has done horrific wrong to you, entrust vengeance to the Lord because he will avenge the wrong done to you. But if you delight in that punishment on another soul, I think we ought to weep and mourn and wail and repent of it. Because we have done things that wicked to God. And he shows us mercy. He shows us tremendous mercy. And so know that he will avenge. But he also may clear them of that burden. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the wrong, the sin, the wickedness. And when he puts it on Christ and crushes it, he clears it. So know that God will either avenge the wrong on the one who's done the wrong or he will forgive them in a way similar to the way he will forgive you or has forgiven you, depending on whether you've received the offer of grace in the gospel or not. And let me just say, if you are one who has wronged others, and you wonder, could God forgive me? The answer is yes. 
and he longs to do it. He sent Christ to pay the penalty for your sin that you might be set free. Okay, got a couple minutes. Let me just share about the untended lawn. The untended lawn, the weedy garden, grows up unnoticed or grows up because it's ignored. And so we are called to continuously defend our hearts against bitterness. If you're taking notes, you might just want to write the main point down and then write the verses to look them up later because I'm just going to zip through this right here. The call to forgive, the call to live and to put away the unbelief of bitterness is not a call to act like no one has wronged you. Okay? It's a call to live in the good of the gospel and to refrain from the desire from wronging one who has wronged you. Right? This means that if Scott, who I love, comes to me and says, Keith, can I borrow $20? And I say, I don't have $20. And he says, look, trust me with your pin and your Mac card. And I say, okay. And he goes over to the ATM machine and takes out 300 bucks, which I think is the limit. And then he gives me my card back. And I find out he took 300 bucks. And then he says, I'm sorry. And he comes to me and says, can you loan me $20? And I say, I don't have $20. He says, just give me your Mac card and your pin code. I'll take it. I don't have to give. Oh, I forgive you. Here. You're so sorry. Here you go. No. No. There, there is such a thing as putting up boundaries. But, you know, if I'm bitter, I'm not going to, like, remind him of the wrong of that every time I see him. If he asks for forgiveness, I'm going to forgive him. And he should give me that 300 bucks back. You can make things right. Forgiving doesn't mean we act like nothing's ever happened. It means that we refuse to hurt them again because of it. And this is a battle. There's a futility and a beauty involved in landscaping. Does anybody love to see their yard perfectly maintained? Right? You spend Saturday morning... You spend the early part of the spring, you spend the end of the fall getting your yard all perfect and beautiful. You know, there are those of you who like mulch and stuff and you trim and you mow and you weed eat and you fertilize and you get your yard all perfect and beautiful. And others of us just look at you and think the weeds are coming. (laughs) Why are you doing this? There's a futility and a beauty, just pay a landscaper, It doesn't fit in the analogy. Sorry, let's just forget about landscaping. There's a call to be free from bitterness, and that's a call to continuously maintain the garden, to weed, to seed, to prune, to haul away the debris, to keep it clean and neat, to plant seeds, and to pull weeds. The heart must be defended. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What flows out of a bitter heart? Is it clean and pure and consistent with the gospel? No. A friend I know who's a counselor said that hurting people hurt people. And if we're not careful to guard our hearts and to rid it of bitterness on a regular basis, we will be those who hurt people regularly. Ephesians 4.30, which I read at the beginning, 
tells us that bitterness grieves God and disturbs the Holy Spirit within us. God has forgiven us much. Should we grieve him with our continued wrong? Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and malice and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. If you struggle with bitterness, take hope and refuge in this verse because it can be put away. If Paul tells us to do it, it can be done. Flip over to Hebrews 12.15. If you're using the Pew Bible, page 1009, verse 15 of Hebrews. Paul said, I said, Paul. Paul didn't write Hebrews. Chris loves that. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness may prevent us from obtaining the grace of God. Bitterness is unbelief. Bitterness springs up and it can take us by surprise. We're often ignorant to our bitterness. See what it says there? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up. The idea is that it, 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 it's not there in the, in the night when we go to sleep, but in the morning there's this giant weed there. Bitterness also causes trouble, it says. It trips us up. Have you ever had your garage or your closet in such totally messy condition, maybe your bedroom floor, that every time you try to walk and get something, you're just like tripping over stuff. You know, you, you step on the end of the rake and it flies up and whacks you in the head. Have you ever had that happen? That's what bitterness is like. It causes difficulty in our lives. Bitterness leads us into sin. It also pollutes others. Look at what it says. By it, many become defiled. Our bitterness can infect others and hurt them. How do we spot it? All right. Take a couple more minutes. Thank you. I Let me just say this too. I love many of you who say just keep going, finish it out. Thank you. I promise I will be faithful and useful with the time. How do you spot bitterness? You'll find it in your heart. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Just ask yourself, ask the Lord to show you your bitterness, and you will find it in your heart. You'll find it. And if you struggle with it, you know it's there. Second, you'll find it in your words. Romans 3.14 says, Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. It comes out in the way we talk. And then finally, others will see it in you and tell you, very interesting study. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Simon the magician is motivated to purchase the Holy Spirit primarily out of bitterness. So how do you deal with it? Very quickly, you must fight it. You need to make war on yourself and on your own heart. Expect it to be messy. It's going to take a while. Pull weeds. Repent of bitterness in the light of the gospel. Ask God to break your heart for the one that you're bitter with. Rehearse Matthew 18, 23 through 31, the parable of the steward who would not forgive. 
memorize and recite 1 Peter 3, 9. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. If you're bitter with your spouse, repent of that. If you're bitter with your parents, acknowledge that in light of the grace of God toward you, you have no right to be bitter with them and repent of that. If you're bitter with a child, if you're bitter toward someone in your church or someone who's left your church or someone who was in the church that you came from or someone out in the world, repent of that. You deserve the same punishment you wish on them. And then plant seeds. Pull weeds by repenting. Plant seeds by praying for them with your own heart and their salvation and reconciliation in view. Matthew 5 verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says in verse 44 of chapter 5, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't miss the connection here in verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. If you're bitter with someone, write down their name on an index card or a sheet of paper and put it where you pray and pray for them every single day and repent. It will go away. Serve the one that you're bitter with. Serve the one that you're bitter with. Exodus 23 verses 4 through 5 spells it out. And listen, you don't own a donkey or an ox, but it applies. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. It doesn't say laugh at them and agree that they're getting what they deserve. Look, their donkey's free. Believe me, these thoughts live in my mind. I have driven past someone who was cruel to me on the road. You know, they cut me off and then they get pulled over and I laugh at them. That's not consistent with the gospel. Should pray for them. It's hard. It's especially hard if they've been crueler to you. If it's your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister, it is very hard. Believe me, I don't want to minimize this. Verse 5 of Exodus 23. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That says help your enemy. And then finally, if you're struggling with bitterness, Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you have been wronged because you're a Christian or you are struggling with bitterness to glorify God and glorify Christ, your reward is great. Isn't the exceeding treasure of spending eternity with God greater than temporary desire for revenge in this life? Isn't the pleasure of knowing 
and feeling and living in the good of the gospel and in the good of knowing that you are living in a way that your heavenly Father approves of, isn't it better than tasting the bitter fruit of longing for someone in your life to be crushed or hurt because they caused you pain? Isn't it better to lift God up as our treasure? He has been so good to us. How could we then not will the good of anyone, everyone, even our enemies? Let me urge you to root out bitterness, to exalt God as your treasure, to embrace the gospel. If you're here this morning and you you know that you're in your sins and you know that you need salvation, let me just encourage you to throw yourself on God's mercy. He will forgive like he forgave that servant who owed him $8.2 billion he will make you his child we just urge you to repent of unbelief and to trust in Christ let's close in prayer Heavenly Father I thank you for my brothers and sisters Lord I pray that no one would walk out of here this morning feeling condemned because they struggle with bitterness I pray that they would know the danger to their soul of cherishing bitterness or acting on bitterness or nourishing bitterness. I pray, though, that they would embrace the fight of faith and trust in your goodness that if they, by the power of your spirit, repent of bitterness, that you will take their burden from them. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who is in the midst of that battle and they need help, I pray that they would reach out to someone, to me, to an elder, to a trusted friend, to a godly advisor who will encourage them in the way they should go. I pray that they would seek help with their burden. Father, I pray for all of us that you would enable us to discern our hearts that we would not allow bitterness to go unchecked, that we would not allow it to go unchallenged, that we would starve it, Lord. I pray that we would serve those that we're bitter against. I pray that we would pray for those who we, if we were honest, would call our enemies. And I pray, Father, that we would rejoice in hope of future reward, living in your good pleasure rather than in our own sinful pursuit of bitterness. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, who needs to be cleared of their sins, I pray they would put their trust in the cross of Christ, and in the redemption that he purchased there. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you desire our good. And we confess that it is for our good that you call us to surrender our unforgiveness and our bitterness. Father, we thank you. We love you. We confess that you are good and you are more than enough. Thank you for challenging us in Jesus' name. Amen.